0: If you have your Bibles, uh, let us go to Esther chapter 1, and we want to continue from last week, a royal rebellion, and we will begin to read verse 13 through 22. In verse 12, Queen Vashti has refused to come at the king's command, and the king is enraged. So, verse 13, then the king... Esther, chapter 1, verse 13, Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marsena, and Memucan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs then Memucan said in the presence of the king and the officials not only has against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong but uh, also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus the queen's behavior will be made known to all women causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath and plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memucan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. And just thus far, and may God bless to us the reading of his word. Now, we've already considered uh, the previous verses, verses 9 through 12. You remember that in verses 9 through 11, you have this, this command of the king of, by uh, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, his requirement that Vashti be brought, that Queen Vashti come into their presence. And verse 12, we considered last week also the refusal by Queen Vashti to appear. So a very uh, a standoff in the Persian court, in the Persian palace. Uh, Xerxes' law and command is rejected by Vashti, she refuses him. So, now we have, in these verses before us, the response by uh, Ahasuerus to the refusal of Queen Vashti to appear in the presence of the king and the people. And, of course, her refusal uh, to come and to appear before Xerxes and the audience, uh, when we read the account, it appears would have gained her absolutely nothing. There's nothing good that comes from refusing Ahasuerus. Uh, Vashti would have known this, so for whatever reason, whatever her motives were that made her totally reject the request of the king, the command of the king, uh, will gain her nothing in the end. In fact, she loses her position, she loses her place, she loses her power as the queen of Persia. She lost everything. She retained nothing. In fact, in the culture and country of Persia and the Medes and the Persians that kind of loss is significant in fact I think that kind of loss is significant in in our world even today Uh, a loss of everything look at the harshness of it look at verse 19 I mean in verse 19 if it please the king let a royal order go out from him let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than, than she. So notice the, the royal order recommends her complete removal from her position. Or maybe we put it another way, her banishment from the royal court, and the privileges that went with it. And notice that the desire is that it be according to the law of the Persians and the Medes, or the Medes and the Persians. And then the statement comes which can not be repealed. In other words, once the law goes into effect, you cannot change the law. And, of course, we read about such things in Daniel, don't we, in Daniel chapter 6 with Darius the Mede, who, it would appear, was on very friendly terms with Daniel and had elevated him in the kingdom, but there was this desire amongst the enemies of Daniel to reduce him, and they knew that they could only get him in the subject of his religion and his prayer life. And so they came up with this idea, if anybody prays to any other god, Darius, If anybody honors anything else other than you, and they appeal to his vanity, of course, that then let a law be given, the law of the Medes and the Persians, which can never be repealed, that such a person should be cast into the lion's den, and so on. And of course, (laughs) that's exactly what happened, right? They knew Daniel would pray, and that's exactly what he did. In fact, as soon as he heard the word, the command, he went home and prayed. No delay, no thinking about what are the consequences, straight home, prays like he had always prayed, and the law of the Medes and Persians kicked in immediately, right? And Darius was bound by that law. In fact, we know from Daniel chapter 6 that he labored through the night, trying to come up with an idea about how to change that law, but he couldn't. He was bound to that law. It could not be repealed. And so finally he has to send Daniel to the lion's den. But he's the first in the morning down there, isn't he? To find out, Daniel, has your God delivered you? Yes, my king. And of course, another law is given, right? Cast those wise men and all of their families and they're thrown in and the bones, lions tore them to pieces. So to, to make a statement like, That it be according to the law of the Persians and the Medes, uh, which can never be repealed, is to set in principle or in motion a law against Queen Vashti that will stand forever, that will not be changed and cannot be changed. Uh, There's no repentance there's no uh, I'm sorry for what I did Xerxes uh, please forgive me there's nothing the law is in place and according to that law she be removed from her royal position and her royal power and that of course would would mean I think uh, immediately on the surface that Vashti's position would become perhaps even lower than that of a concubine because a concubine would remain in the second harem and in the second harem she would await perhaps perhaps the call Of king Xerxes who may or may not request her but you notice that the text here says that Vashti never again come into the presence of Xerxes so she is completely removed and banished Uh, I mean what a loss so Vashti in one sense must have known about that there would be repercussions because of her failure to do what the king requested so you didn't just go up to Xerxes and say hi Xerxes how are you nobody did that In Persia nobody looked at the king or talked to him in fact he seems quite inaccessible in the book of Esther he remains in his court on his throne and even Esther when she is urged by Mordecai to go in and plead for her people is hesitant to do that because she recognizes such a dangerous uh, thing to just approach Xerxes nobody approached King Ahasuerus as they pleased and she even acknowledged how difficult that was to Mordecai So Vashti's refusal to appear before the king is massive. It's huge and it has consequences for her and perhaps for others that are connected with her. In other words, Xerxes, when he strikes, he strikes with a vengeance. He holds nothing back. I mean, the law of the Medes and Persians is even invoked. And this, of course, is totally in keeping with his character, with the character of Ahasuerus. To him, Vashti would represent subversion. She would represent treachery, she would represent treason, she would represent a dangerous threat to my authority as the king. And so he acts, he desires to know exactly what he can do and what he cannot do, seeks the advice of the seven princes of Persia. And one of them, Memucan, comes up with his plan, that she be removed and her position be given to another who is better than she is. And, of course, it's a dangerous threat as far as Memucan and the, per- the Persian princes and the king are concerned to the king's authority. But not just to the king, but to every single man in the, in the empire, in the 127 provinces. What are they going to think? What's going to happen to them? God forbid, right, that their wives learn from Vashti's behavior. And their wives do exactly what Vashti Uh, did. And that's what Memucan plays on that, doesn't he? That every man is going to experience what Ahazuerus experienced. So in one sense what Memucan proposes is that Vashti's demotion has consequences for every woman in Persia. That every single girl, every single woman in Persia uh, is viewed as the way Vashti is viewed unless they submit to their husbands and so on. In fact Vashti represents, as we can see quite here, uh, plainly the loss of status. And of course we have to understand in their culture, compared to our culture, the status of women is very significantly different to the status of women in our time, in our culture. And Esther, of course, the book, presents Esther as someone who herself recognizes that the same could happen to her just as it happened to Vashti and she will be very careful in seeking to address the king and approach the king and uh, in dealing with the king. Someone has looked at these verses and said that there is a flurry of legislative activity going on. There's discussion among the princes, these individuals who sit next to uh, Ahasuerus uh, in the kingdom and make rules with him. And so he gathers these wise men among him. Perhaps these are, this is the region where the wise men who came to see Jesus came from. Perhaps they came from the east, and these are wise men who dwell in the east. These are the highest men. And of course, the wise men in ancient Babylon and ancient Persia and Medes and Greece, uh, these were the astronomers and these were the astrologers. Uh, who read the stars and read the skies and followed them and of course those wise men came to Jesus because they observed something completely unique in the heavens what qualifies you to be a a wise man in Persia? I mean what was it that qualified you? well look what the text says in verse 13 these are men said to know the times that's why they're wise men because they know what's going on they know the times <clears throat> verse 13 says they're versed in law and judgment so they're able to understand the laws of the, the the empire and make judgments in fact these seven counselors are called seven princes so they're they're of some kind of royalty verse 14 the men who are next to king Ahazuerus. and notice particularly it says they look upon his face they see the king's face they're able to be in the presence of Ahazuerus. They're able to talk to him. They're able to give him advice. They're able to have counsel with him. In fact, the Bible says they sit first in his kingdom. So these are the men that he gathers around him first to make any discussions. Nobody else has these privileged positions of power. That's the government in Persia so long ago. Not unlike our government, which is made up of senators and congressmen and women, who make laws and seek to impose their laws uh, upon a populace who really have no say ultimately, but that's why we vote them into power, that they make laws on our behalf and we trust that they will have wisdom to make the right kind of laws. And every time they make a law, we shake our heads and say, why did they make that law? What are they doing? What are they thinking? And that seems to me how we all view our modern-day senators and, and Congress people. They, in fact, like Memucan and the others, they appear to be a law unto themselves. And if you dare, don't you dare dispute the law of the land and the things that they say. It is to those kind of men that Ahazuerus goes to seek counsel and to seek advice about what must I do with Vashti. Notice his question in verse 15, particularly his opening line, According to the law, what is to be done? He wants to know from a legal perspective, from a legal position, from a legal standpoint, what are my options? What can I as the king do? Or maybe to put another way, what can I legally get away with ultimately? So that it's law and nobody can challenge it. Memucan's answer in verse 16 is quite incredible, you know. I mean, first of all, he makes the kind of statement, you know, Xerxes, you've been wronged. You've been wronged very seriously by Vashti's refusal. And not only that, but but every official in the provinces, 127 of them, and all the peoples in your kingdom, they also have been wronged in every province. In fact, thirdly, he would go on to say, particularly every man, every husband has been wronged and is affected by what Vashti did. And number four, every woman and wife is going to, verse 17, react against their own husbands. And not only against their own husbands, but in verse 18, against all the officials of the king. And at the end of verse 18, you notice what he says, there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. I don't know how secure this Memukan was in his own marriage, but he doesn't appear to be, be such a secure individual, right? I mean, this is nothing but an overreach of epic proportions. Right? And notice the final argument in verse 22. We must tell every man to be master in his own house. I mean, what man would think to himself, I'm not master in my own house? Right? Especially in Persia. Especially in that culture, in that kingdom. What man is going to sit there and say, Oh, I'm not master. My wife is the master in my house. There's not one man in the kingdom of Persia that would even think that to himself. Persia is not subject to the sensibilities of our own culture and our own time. They're barbaric. They're violent. Uh, I don't know what happened ultimately to Vashti. Perhaps she was executed. There is some tradition that suggests that. Uh, But certainly Xerxes was a violent individual, a very dangerous man. And, of course, in our own culture today, what do we find about men? What is portrayed about men? We have emasculated ourselves. We have uh, effeminized ourselves, if that's even a word. That's what's happening to, to men in our own culture. If you watch advertisements on TV, the man is reduced to what he is told to do. And so, to satisfy cultural norms... That's what men seem to do in our own time. Where are men, real men, men who stand because they know what they believe. Where are those men today in America? We pray that godly Christian men will be men and that godly Christian women will be women. Women of repute and men of repute and so on. Biblical. But that's not our culture and we are subjected to the change in the norms in our own world and we, we, we feel it. I ask that if this is our culture today is our country in a better place? Is our world in a better place? With all of these cultural sensibilities that seemingly have taken place. Now I'm all for the protection of women against abuse, in any form, whatever it might be. I'm all for that, and I think Christian men are for that. But is the world, because it has done this to men, and women have ascended in power and assert their power, and I understand that, is the world a better place for it? Have we improved? Are we better? Is the church of Jesus actually better? Are men leaders in the church? what is it about that's what's happening today in our culture no I think we have greater problems and increasing problems in our own time Memucan is trying to be far-sighted. he's trying to anticipate the outcome of what a simple refusal by Vashti is going to lead to <laughs> not just in the palace but in the whole kingdom now you notice in the text towards the end, it talks about every man in his own language, in his own script, and so on. This law has got to, has got to go to every kind of man because there are all different nationalities in Persia. They're all over the, the kingdom, 127 provinces from Ethiopia to India. They're all different. And so you have to write to them in their own language, telling them, Be master in your own house. And I can just imagine some man getting that sitting in India saying, Well, I am master. In my own house so you know this is the kind of thing that Memucan put in place the idea in Persia you notice in verse 20 there needs to be a royal command Memucan suggests where all women everywhere give honor to their own husbands and frankly that seems to me to be very far-reaching and foolish because I think in that kingdom in that world there was actually a lot of submission to To men by the women whether right or wrong but that was their culture that's what they did and so he wants there to be this royal command ordering women to be that when by culture and nationalities they probably were submissive uh, in their own ways and so on. On the surface such recommendations appealed to Ahasuerus they appealed to his vanity they appeal to his need to assert his authority you find it interesting don't you that the the king, the emperor of an entire empire feels the need to assert his authority feels the need to put his authority upon every person out there because they'd be like him when the reality was probably not everybody certainly was like Ahasuerus in the kingdom not all men and certainly not all women like Vashti perhaps who just refused at the same time we must ask ourselves the question well, what law actually did Vashti break what law did she break I mean it was just the king who commanded bring Vashti here but there was no written code there was no written edict there was no law in place that Vashti shall appear on this day at the feast and so on there was no law like that but is every man required to exercise authority and power and abuse of power like Ahazuerus? The answer is no, of course not. Every man is not to exercise authority like them. So a little domestic dispute, which I acknowledge because it's public, has, has consequences but becomes now of epic proportions and of national consequence right across 127 provinces it would be highly unlikely and it would be highly improbable that the kingdom of Persia would experience I think a national protest that suddenly the women are going to pour out in the streets in in Ethiopia or India uh, asserting their authority and their prestige doubt very much that would have happened they wouldn't have dared to do such a thing and neither would the men have been too troubled I think about am I master in my own home no women had no such power to just organize a protest down the streets, right? It would have been shut down very, very quickly. And would they have organized such a thing? No, they wouldn't have done so. So Memucan's advice is just unbelievably overkill, isn't it? I mean, whatever he... In fact, I think he's appealing to Ahasuerus' vanity, because he knows the kind of man that he's dealing with. He's not going to say to Ahasuerus, now look, Xerxes... You don't have to be troubled by this. This is nothing to worry about. We can deal with this. This is easy. No, he appeals to the vanity and the weakness of the man because he knows the man. But you know what would probably have happened and I think probably did happen in the kingdom is that when every man or woman got that letter or whatever it was, that it was Ahasuerus who would lose respect in their eyes, who would lose prestige and face What's going on back there in Susa? What's happening in Persia? It's Ahasuerus who loses the respect. It's not the husbands in the empire who are going to suffer. No, it's Ahasuerus who appears to be the foolish one by these suggestions. Consider also at the end of verse 19. Let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she, better than Vashti. And I asked the question, how would you determine that somebody is better than Queen Vashti? She's she's number one. She holds the top place. Who is better than Queen Vashti? What criteria would you use to come up with that? Well, of course, you know the whole process about how they they organize a search to find the right candidate. So look at chapter 2. Just go over to chapter 2 and look at verses 2 through 4. So Ahasuerus says, the anger has subsided somewhat. He remembers Vashti and what she's done in verse 1 and what he had had decreed against her. So then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. And let their cosmetics be given to them. And let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. And this pleased the king, and he did so. What's the criteria? Lots of cosmetics. (laughs) Right? Lots of cosmetics. In fact, in fact, there's quite a, uh, a regimen of cosmetics, right? That they have to go through, these girls. So, it's physical beauty that's, that's to be the standard. So, think about that. Here's Queen Vashti, who in and of herself was very beautiful. The Bible says she was lovely to look at. Oh, that's the criteria for the queen, the next queen. She must be beautiful, she must have lots of cosmetics, and so on so the winner is going to be the winner of a beauty pageant right? in Persia she'll be the next queen there's no discussion about how wise they are or if they have come from a good family nothing lots of cosmetics pour on the cosmetics make them as beautiful as you can Haggai and then I'll determine if she pleases me well what does all of that suggest? well (laughs) suggests in my opinion that Xerxes is not really confident as an individual not really comfortable because he must abuse power to keep power he must use his position and his prestige because his character is weak so he uses his place and his power to do whatever he he wants to accomplish Mordecai on the other hand appears to be in the text someone quite solid Someone quite stable, someone quite reliable, whose character seems far above any idea of reproach, uh, unlike Ahasuerus. And you know, it's interesting that the Bible routinely, routinely draws our attention to human character. Points out to us flaws in our character and our nature. I mean, think of the contrast between Abraham and Lot, and yet Abraham is no perfect picture. But Lot is contrasted with Abraham, and there's a great difference between them. Or think about, about those two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and their characters. In fact, Jacob's character <laughs> is not the best character either, is it? He's a liar, he's a deceiver, he's a cheat, and so on. And so you look at these, and the Bible just reveals that even those that God sets his affection on are weak individuals have no power sometimes in and of themselves. But then you look at an individual like Joseph, and you compare him to his brothers, and what a distinction there is between Joseph as a man and his brothers and their characters. Or think about King Saul and his weak vacillation and his jealousy, and look at his son, Jonathan, who is not subject to those kinds of things as far as David. In fact, he's quite willing to support David and give him the kingship. What an amazing man Jonathan must have been. These are are the, the characters that are displayed all throughout Scripture. So human intentions by someone like Xerxes simply reveal that even the most powerful people on the planet can be the most foolish individuals. That just because you have place and power and position and wealth does not mean you are of a good character and so on at all. And yet we are... We are enthralled by such things, money, power, what the world reveals to us. Xerxes, verse 21, he's very pleased with that advice, right? He's pleased with the advice he receives. Why? Because he's wise in his own eyes, as Proverbs 3, 7 says. So what, the question is, what can I learn, what can you learn, what can we learn from Esther from this very first chapter which is rooted in history in the historical well one thing I think we can say is that all the empires of the world wherever they have arisen they aim to impress us so much so that you would want to be like them that's the power of the world it's what the world is always about aiming to impress you seductively suggestively in whatever form whatever way it is so that you might be allured by the attraction of what the world offers it is a power that is seductive and that is greatly seductive I mean all of us feel uh, some allurement in some way to the achievements of people and there there are very talented people in America if not around the world and when you see those talents on display you just have to stand back sometimes and say they don't even know what God has gifted them with what God has blessed them with talents and achievements and, and we're impressed by by possessions and by houses and by cars and these kinds of things. We're impressed by money. The more money you have, well, the better you must be, and so on. We're even impressed by politics, because it's power that it gives to us. One of the commentators has called the world uh, it's just a glittering hologram with no real substance. It's not real, but it portrays itself as real as something you need to be like. The world seems to assimilate always to make us feel its power, feel its attraction, so that we are moved in that direction to assimilate ourselves by being attracted to it. I find this is the power of YouTube. YouTube is a very powerful medium. It's an increasingly powerful medium. Ah it portrays good things and bad things and you argue well I can use it for the good things but while you're using it for the good things the bad things are just right there suggesting always always suggesting the author of Esther is simply setting the stage for you and for me as we read his account by showing us that when you look at Xerxes and you look at Persia there is something empty there is something missing there's a vanity about the human character and human condition there's a weakness to it, there's a flaw in it look at the kind of ideas they can come up with men who rule the world have absolute power and simply we are just being shown the emptiness and the vanity of the world perhaps the most important lesson I think however that we can learn from Esther chapter 1 is that God does not always reveal Himself at first sight So you read Esther chapter 1 and you say, where is God? Where is God? And God doesn't always reveal himself in the way that we want him to reveal himself. You see, we we want God in the box. We want God so that we can manipulate him and control him and get him to do what we want and desire. It's a very dangerous thing to do that with God. And none of us doubt for example, when you read the account of Joseph and his brothers, that God didn't care for Joseph. No, we all understand that God cared very much about Joseph. But when you look at that boy's life, or how he suffered, how he greatly suffered, and God knew it. And it was God's plan. Now maybe Joseph, as a young boy, didn't quite understand those things. Because the Bible tells talks about his cries from the pit to be released, to be set free. And how the brothers ignored his cries and sold him into slavery. Didn't care about him. But Joseph eventually understood that it was God who was doing it. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. I mean, what kind of spiritual giant is Joseph, right, to make that kind of statement? We might have said, "Mm, I remember what you did. I forgive you, but I remember. Not Joseph. Not Joseph. What a character, right? You see, human nature is impressed by the world, by power, by, by, by a pagan king in the first uh, chapter here. Because that's our nature, to be impressed by the power. That's what the, what the writer is wanting us to see. Well, here's the power of Xerxes. 127 provinces. But look at the man. See the man. See what he's like. So that you see what the world is like. So that you see his ego, you see his pride, and he's wounded and he's assaulted. See it, look at it. That's what the writer wants to show us. In fact, the writer goes to great lengths, doesn't he, to portray that Ahasuerus was not really a strong individual character-wise. So what is he going to do in the book? He's going to put Esther and Mordecai and set them contradistinction to Ahasuerus and Haman. And So you have these contrasts between Esther and Mordecai who appear to be doing the good and the right and Ahasuerus and particularly of course Haman, the evil, the wicked Haman and what he did. And how do we explain, when we look at our own lives, what God is doing in my life? I mean, has anybody ever asked you, well, tell me what God is doing in your life? How do you explain that to someone? Have you ever thought about that? What is God doing? You see, we tend to think in, in generalities about, well, God is doing something. But when you ask me, well, what is God particularly doing for you, Russ? It becomes very difficult to just give a precise answer. This is what God is doing for me. We need, to, we need to submit ourselves more to the Lord so that we understand what God is doing in my personal life, in your personal life. So that if somebody asks me, this is what God is showing me. This is what God is teaching me. Not, this is what I think God is doing. No, this is what God is doing. Because don't I read His Word all the time and every day? Don't I pray? Don't you do the same? We do those things. But can you say this is what God is doing. Oh you can look at the world out there the Christian world and you can say I see what God's doing over there well that's good but what is God doing in your life? Can you narrow that down to the relationship you have particularly with God? You see sometimes you don't see and cannot see what God is doing even in your own life and that's, a, that's not an easy thing understand is it that's Job's experience what are you doing God to me because it is God what are you doing to me I don't understand why this is happening to me that's why dear brothers and sisters we need to study more this doctrine we call Providence because that's what the book of Esther is really all about God behind the scenes accomplishing His purpose and doing what He does, He gets the glory. And that's always what providence is. Providence should be very precious to every Christian. We should study it. We should think about it. We should, we should consider it. So often we're so given to, well, this is, what, this is what we must do. This is what we can achieve. You need to realize that you can only achieve what you ought to achieve by God. And God's working in your life. And what is God doing for me? You know, by human standards or by human reasoning, we could expect Esther to end up just like Vashti, but she is careful. She does not. She does not. And the only reason you can ultimately put it down to, it is not because Esther is far more smarter than, than Vashti. No, she's just had more cosmetics than Vashti. So no, it's not because of that. It's because God is in the corridors of power it's because god lurks in the darkness in the unseen pagan world of persia 2500 years ago god lurking god working god accomplishing himself you know that every attempt by society by societies by countries by cultures of the world to assert themselves as absolutely powerful every one of them has failed because there's only one who has absolute power and that's our god persia is very powerful 127 provinces thousands and thousands of people in a population under the control of one man power and yet xerxes the writer is showing us has no power not even over his own household not even over his own kingdom and so on one of the sad things of course is that even the church has tried and is still trying I think to have absolute power even in our country even in our laws even in our rules the church must have absolute power church doesn't have absolute power there are two different entities there's the church and there's the government or the state and they are both ordained by God and you discover that, yes, yes, what happens in a government may be evil, but what happens in a church may be evil. We have evidence everywhere of such things. No, the real issue is, what is God doing in the corridors of Washington? And what is God doing in Bethel? In a church? What is God doing? Absolute power always corrupts as we know, absolutely. It does because you can't get it and it's going to corrupt that's why the transformation that the gospel has brought to each of us has reduced us from this vain seeking of self-glory to the receiving of a glorious transforming gospel that has humbled us and made us see ourselves for what we really are so that God in reducing us elevates us think about this in His Son So that when God looks at his children, he sees Christ. And where is Jesus? He is at the highest place in glory. And I'm in him, and you're in him, and his nature is in us. We're no longer by any definition what we once were like. We've been changed by grace. And it is in that sense that the Christian becomes salt and light in a world that is ridiculous in a world that is vain, in a world that is wicked, in a world that is sensual and seductive. Providence is simply the execution of what God has determined. God maintaining, God sustaining, God working. It's God making all the necessary arrangements to accomplish His purpose. That's all it is. Do any of us doubt that God does that? No. Esther is all about God doing exactly that, making all the necessary arrangements to accomplish what He intends. God's silence in Esther is deafening, isn't it? It's like a roaring waterfall that is falling and falling and falling, and you try to speak and here's somebody else can't listen to you. God is so loud in Esther. He's everywhere in Esther. You see Him, you hear Him. And all the characters of Esther are clay in the hands of a potter who molds them, as he does tonight, all the hearts of individuals everywhere in the world, no matter their background, no matter their nationality. God is not frustrated, and God cannot be frustrated by any person's intentions or actions. Xerxes can do as Xerxes wants, but God is not frustrated by Xerxes at all when you as a believer cannot see the wisdom of God for your life when you cannot see the goodness of God in the events of your life then in the dreadful darkness when you have no explanation it is then that the eyes of faith must open and latch on to God because I want to tell you that's all you have and God will never disappoint his people If you look to the circumstances, if you look to the events of your life, you are powerless. You have no power over the events of your life. Only God does. Only God has the power. Only God has the real power in Persia, doesn't he? To bring in an Esther, to have her chosen. It's God, God, God doing that. We need to learn those things. And that reminds me then that there's only one thing in my life that I really need to focus on when I think about God in the events of my life, and it's this. Just two words. God reigns. God reigns. God reigns supreme in my life, in my events of my life. And who am I? I'm a child of the king. The real king. The only king. I'm his child. I'm a prince of King Jesus. My life is not empty. My life is not vain. Oh, there are many things I don't grasp and don't understand. It's like a dark way before me sometimes. But if I let God go before me, He shines the light. And all I have to do is put one foot in front of the other, not worry about tomorrow and what will happen but now just one step at a time with God is one step in the right direction that's what God's asking of us right so all things therefore according to the Bible happen for the glory of God happen so that God is exalted and not only for the glory of God but for the happiness of His people That what God does is for His people it's not, we're not like a side attraction God's got His plan, and oh, well, I'll just you, you can get some of the glory. No, He incorporates us and includes us so completely. All men and women are created by God, but not all men and women are redeemed. And there's a massive difference between what happens from creation and in redemption. In creation, Adam, though he is created in the image of God, does not possess the nature of God. But now I am united to the nature of God because of Christ, Jesus. Think about that. Adam exists on this level because of creation, but redemption is a new creation. Something completely brand new that God is doing. That's why Calvin could say that the universe is simply the theater of the glory of God. That's what David said, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Just look up there can't explain it for the past two and a half months I've been observing Venus in the morning and Mars in the morning and Jupiter in the morning, you can't miss them okay? two and a half months ago you couldn't miss Jupiter and Venus because they sat Ju- Jupiter sat right behind Venus, of course now at least 45, 50 degrees you'll see Jupiter up there and you'll see Venus maybe at 15 or 18 degrees in the east they have separated themselves And yet, Venus is the morning star, bright, beautiful, there it is, every day you can see Venus. But when Jupiter sat behind her, glorious, magnificent, Mars close at hand. Now, of course, Mars and Jupiter, Mars was ahead of Jupiter, now Jupiter has exceeded beyond Mars. And if you have binoculars or telescope, you'll be able to see Neptune and you see Uranus. And what happens to those stars? I mean, those planets, well, they just follow their trajectory and you come back tomorrow morning and there they are but there's just a slight difference because Jupiter is edged away and Mars is edged away and so it has continued for two and a half months and it will continue this is the in fact July is the perfect time if you want to start looking at what they do and these kinds of things who does that? who controls that? God! God! but what does it do for me? I look at it and I say That's the glory of God. That's God. That's what it does for me. So that if He can control that, my life is in His hands so perfectly and so beautifully, managed perfectly in its course. He keeps me. That's why we say God upholds all things, God maintains all things, doesn't He? By the word of His power, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Doesn't the fatherly hand... The fatherly hand of our Lord touch our health, touch our sickness. It's the fatherly hand of God that does that. Isn't it the fatherly hand of God that gives riches and gives poverty? Isn't it the fatherly uh, hand of God who leaves nothing to chance, nothing to accident, nothing to fortune, nothing? Nothing arbitrary, just God reigning. Over my life and your life. So God's providence stands solidly on God's sovereignty. The two are belong together. Xerxes' power has limitations and has limits, but God is not like Xerxes. God has no limits to his power. Psalm 103, we read it. His kingdom rules over all. God's care for your life and my life is not a hands-off policy no it's a very invested policy hands-on he provides a great fish for Jonah because that man just doesn't want to do what God says I'll get him here's the fish it's Jesus who says to Simon who's Flummoxed by the question about, does your master pay temple tax? And Jesus goes to Simon and says, what do you think, Simon? Do we owe or don't we? Who, who's exempt? The, 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 the children or the strangers? No, the children. Then why don't you go down and throw a line in and the first fish you take up, why don't you open its mouth and there you will find temple tax for you and for me? Jesus. And that's what he did. You see, he's omnipotent. He'll never be defeated. He will never overreach. He will never overkill. He'll never be overthrown. He's not afraid of his power. He revels in his power because it's beautiful and it's glorious and it's for the good of his people to admire him, to admire God in his being, who he is. I ask the question then, as we come to the end, where is Ahasuerus? And where is his kingdom? Dust. It's gone. Then I ask this other question. So where is God? It's right here in the room. Now. Right now. Let's pray together. Father, Father, the world parades itself and exhibits itself in great power to attract us and how easily we can be swayed. And we, are, we have here right in the introductory chapter to Esther this parade of worldly power that appears foolish and vain and empty and of no consequence. And So we pray that as we go through the book of Esther that we might continue to learn about your character, though it is behind the scenes in the corridors, in the discussions, in the feasts, you are there. And help us to remember that even in our homes tonight, you are there. And at our workplace tomorrow, wherever we find ourselves, in the grocery store, you are there. You reign, always. Oh, Father, make us stronger Christians and help us to believe this gospel that has transformed us so gloriously to truly appreciate what Jesus has done for us because he reigns I shall reign in him thank you for the gospel thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ thank you for the cross that has brought about this great change in our lives how can we explain it you have been merciful and you have been gracious and you are sovereign so we bow before your sovereign power Hold us fast, we pray. Keep us in your ways. Thank you that you will rule over all. You have granted to us all your benefits and blessings. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. We praise you and we thank you for that. So thank you for today, the Lord's Day. Now, Father, this week lies before us. Help us in our work. Direct us. Be with us and may we know your presence with us and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fellowship we've enjoyed today. Now we commend ourselves to you. Watch over us as we part. We pray and ask all of these things in the holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and give you a good week.